Thanks so much for listening to another podcast episode of Complex Identities. This is your host, Juan Marcos Bejarana Gutierrez. Before we get to our main topic for today's episode, I wanted to mention something that I did a quick video on and I shared it on social media. It has to do with a book that I bought in Mexico City in 2018. The book was titled Historias y Leyendas de México. Uh, the stories and legends of Mexico, and it basically had to do with folklore, uh, you know, sort of like ghost stories and legends that have existed throughout Mexican history. And the reason that I was intrigued by this book was because of the fact that I was looking for stories about the Inquisition and possible tales about Jewish observance and Jewish existence in colonial Mexico. In fact, there was a tale that was included in this particular volume, and it was titled uh, La Judía Crucificada, The Crucified Jewess. And I immediately sort of, I had an idea, at least I thought I had an idea about it, what it would be. And that is that it would entail the story of a uh, conversa, a, uh, a woman who was a convert from Judaism to Christianity, or whose family were the descendants of converts in previous generations or some previous time, and were living uh, a crypto-Jewish life. That is to say that they were continuing to observe Judaism in some form or fashion, and they were, of course, in the midst of... Uh, Mexican society with the Inquisition in full effect. What happened was quite different than what I expected because the actions of the Inquisition, its horror, its torture, and ultimately uh, the deaths that it brought about were essentially placed on to the Jew in the story. The Jew was the father of this particular uh, young lady. And in the story, the woman fell in love with someone who was a quote, old Christian. Uh, someone who was not from a Jewish or Muslim background and had converted to Christianity. And as a consequence, when the father finds out, everything that the Inquisition had historically done was transferred to him. He tortures his daughter, he crucifies her, he eventually kills her, and the Inquisitors become the, the angels and the saviors of the day because inevitably they come in and they uh, catch the father, and, uh, you know, they restore order and justice and so forth. And so it was amazing to me to see the story because, of course, it flips the script of, of what we know historically 180 degrees. And in many ways, the reason that I mention that is because when we deal with topics of Judaism and Christianity and about the complicated relationships that Jews and Christians have had, sometimes I feel that the script has been switched unknowingly to many people until they actually begin to investigate and read about uh, history and theology as it has been in the in past tense and also as it is maintained in current uh, theologies of many uh, representative Christian organizations. C certainly coming from a Jewish background, I could say that, and also coming from a uh, historian's background. Now, as we've mentioned in the past, one of the great concerns that we have is understanding how Christians in the nascent Christian Christian movement and thereafter in the early centuries of the Common Era took something that was fundamental to their faith, like the Torah, um, and yet at the same time invalidated it um, and proceeded to the, the term that I used in one of the previous podcast episodes of legislide, legislide. Now, Gentiles needed to establish their connection to the God of Israel in a manner that was, if, if we take into consideration the words of Paul, apart from the Torah. Now, the idea of a relationship based apart from the Torah involved, evolved into antagonism towards the Torah. 
This reality became exemplified and intensified in the ultimate battle over what was considered sacred scripture. The church, over you know decades and of course into the second century, eventually was primarily composed of non-Jews engaged in a radical process of self-definition. The journey resulted in independence from the Torah, as it certainly had meant to the people of Israel, to the Jewish people, and ultimately to a denial of its continuing validity, not simply for themselves, but for the people of Israel in totality, even to a point of adopting a certain disgust for ongoing Jewish observance. Hilary, a bishop of Poitiers and a doctor of the church in the fourth century, held the following, which I think is quite amazing for us uh, to look at. He said, before the law was given, the Jews were possessed of an unclean devil, which the law for a time drove out, but which returned immediately after their rejection of Christ. Now, some may argue that, quote-unquote, the Jews that are referenced in this particular or referred to in this particular quote are the real topic of this type of, of theology, not the Torah itself. A few examples of Chrysostom, the Archbishop of Constantinople in the late 4th century and into the early 5th centuries of the Common Era, go far in understanding that the link is not that far behind between these two concepts. And he asks, what is this disease? The festivals of the pitiful and miserable Jews are soon to march upon us one after the other and in quick succession, the Feast of Trumpets, the Feast of Tabernacles, the Fast. There are many who in our ranks who say they think as we do. And of course, what Chrysostom was extremely worried about during his time uh, period was the fact that many Christians were still engaged in the synagogue and were visiting. They had relations with Jews and they did not meet this evil characterization that he depicts uh, in their daily lives. And so many Christians, having adopted the God of Israel, were maybe curious about the fact that in many ways their faith was so detached from the people from which the individual that they accepted as the Messiah um, was from, why it had differed so much, why, why had it become such a separate and distinct reality. As, I, as I've mentioned in previous podcasts, in the beginning of the Christian movement, if we use that term loosely, just to identify anybody who believed in the messianic claims that were ascribed to Jesus, or even centuries after, there were always individuals that were not necessarily sure where the boundaries lay. And so for someone like Chrysostom, the critical issue was to make sure that there was a delineation between the two communities, but in the process of doing so, it was to characterize even the Torah itself and the commandments that were prescribed in it as problematic. Now, just as significant and perhaps more damaging to the people of Israel, to the Jewish people, were the Christian appropriations of Israel's sacred text, as Lloyd Gaston notes, for he says, quote, for itself alone under the name Old Testament. And what he means by that is that he's referring to the characterization of the Tanakh, of the Hebrew Bible, as old. And while for most Christians this doesn't automatically imply anything negative, the very fact that you have something old already, in our minds certainly, ascribes to it something that is of less value, of less virtue, of less purpose. And so he states the following. He says, if I might state a thesis, it would be this. From a very early period, the church was guilty of legicide, which made the sharing of a common scripture impossible and anti-Judaism inevitable. 
Now, the issue of legicide is a problem that has plagued sectors of Christianity, if not the majority of Christian groups since its inception as a movement. The question was pronounced as early as the middle of the second century. Now still, Paul's response decades earlier, as we've discussed in his letter to the Romans, uh, seemed to try to address the issues of supersessionism, of replacement theology, but it did so without the kind of effect that I believe that he intended, at least reading the text. Uh, What he wanted to achieve was not achieved. Now regarding the epistle to Barnabas, written sometime in the late first or in the first third of the second century, uh, James William Parks explains the following. He says, The writer of the epistle to Barnabas feared that his readers would be tempted to share the scripture with Jews. The only alternative was to claim the whole of it for themselves and to antedate the rejection of the Jews and the emergence of the church to the beginning of revealed history by emphasizing the position of Abraham as the father of many nations, of whom only one, and that themselves, were the chosen. The early church father, Justin Martyr, recorded a debate between himself and a Jew named Trifo, and in that particular case, we'll look at that in our subsequent episode. But the reason that I mention that is because here we see a dialogue, at least theoretical, um, perhaps an actual dialogue, between a church father and someone who had survived the Bar Kokhba rebellion, in the second century. And of course, in this dialogue, there is a uh, revelation, one might say, of the basic tenets of Christianity in the early second century. And even as early as that period, you can see quite clearly that there is a belief that Jews have been displaced and that the purpose of the Torah really doesn't serve anything at that particular point in time, certainly not for Christians, but its own validity for Jews is now called into question. And as James uh, Williams uh, William Parks explained, the idea was that even the uh, maintenance or the possession of the scripture by Jews was problematic. So there had to be a redefinition of the sacred text that Jews had in their possession. Now, the church had a particular problem because it couldn't invalidate the Tanakh. It couldn't invalidate the Hebrew Bible or, of course, in its Septuagint form in the Greek translation because it formed the basis of their faith. And yet, they sort of wrestled with this and came up to a point where they maintained it as sacred text while invalidating its relevancy and its continuing relationship to the Jewish people.